Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, hi, everybody. I'm so glad you're here. I love our church so much, and it's, uh, it's better when you're here. It's a nice day outside today, but there was a, a day last week, the week before, where I heard someone say, it's not the cold, it's the wind, right? You know, it's not the chill that gets you, it's the wind chill. And you ever had that where it's like, man, if it wasn't windy, it'd be a nice day, but the wind just cuts through, cuts through to your core and, and chills you down. One of the most powerful forces of nature is wind. Uh, has anyone ever lost any patio equipment to the wind before? Uh, anybody lost a tree branch to the wind? Has anyone ever had a whole tree uprooted because of the wind before in their yard? Or anyone lost power uh, because of the wind? Wind is very powerful. It can knock you off balance. It can knock you off course. Have you ever had a drive in a heavy wind before? It's just pulling you one way or another, it's hard to steer. Some of you are truck drivers, delivery drivers, which by the way, God bless our drivers in our church. Thank you so much for your job and your work. But they know that wind is a very strong force. Uh, I read this week that Hurricane Otis, uh, just the other day, produced a 205 mile per hour gust of wind. And it's in the top 10 strongest gusts of wind ever, ever recorded. Today, We're going to look at how to withstand the winds of life. There on your outline is a a verse from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 10.25. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. Now, the Bible uses wind as a metaphor for a lot of different things. I wonder what kind of winds are blowing into your life right now? Are there winds of change, change in your family, change in your health, winds of conflict, winds of opposition or trouble? Pastor Kelly talked about that one last week, winds of temptation, of testing. Now all these things, do you know what all these different kinds of things in your life have in common? They are uncontrollable. In fact, you might write that in, winds are uncontrollable. You can't control the wind. You never have, you never will. And there are things similarly in your life that happen that are uncontrollable. You can't control other people. You can't control circumstances. So what I want to look at this week is how do I handle it? How do I handle the winds of life that are uncontrollable? Now, the Bible, you'll discover, uses a a word or a phrase, and that is that you withstand. You withstand the winds of life. When I can't control a disease, when I can't control what's going on in my school, when I can't control what's going on in my country, when I can't control the direction culture is going, when I can't control how my friend is reacting to something, what am I to do? I am to withstand. Now, I've written down a definition here. To withstand, and let's, if you would please, let's read this definition together. To remain and grow in the midst of a destructive force. So withstand is not only that you remain. So withstand, what I don't want you to get the picture of is is this idea of 
I'm just going to be bullheaded and stubborn and I'm going to cynically be the last one standing. That's not withstand. Withstand is I am wearing the armor of God and I'm actually developing and flourishing even though this thing is trying to destroy me. I am salt and light. The destructive force is actually having the opposite effect in my life because I am withstanding. So instead of that building that's withstanding that I just showed you, but it's all blown out, it's more like a tree that's flourishing under adverse conditions. So like these trees in this valley uh, face an enormous amount of wind. They uh, face enormous amount of conditions, temperature changes in a day, lots of different things. But that wind and those adverse conditions have caused its roots to grow deep. And these, and it's, it, these aren't just poles standing up in a valley, remaining. No, they're trees. They have branches. They're growing. They're flourishing. They're adding beauty to the canyon, to this valley, even though there's adverse conditions. They're adding beauty to it. Ephesians 6.13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Now there is a moment where Jesus uh, tells his disciples in Luke chapter Luke uh, 21 of Luke uh, that he is telling them about the persecution that they're about to face as his followers. And he is just very real and honest with them. And he says, uh, look, because you follow me, uh, you're going to be hated by the world. And the world is going to despise you, reject you, hate you. And they're going to persecute you just as they persecute me. And he says, you will face tough times because you are my follower. And he finishes those statements and says, stand firm and you will win life. Stand firm. And now for 2,000 years, Christians have been uh, persecuted, imprisoned. For the first 300 years after Jesus resurrected, it was illegal to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. Since then, there has been persecution in much of the world. Uh, many say that the vast majority of religious freedom violations in the world today are directed against Christians. And you can find people who've studied that that are atheists or even of different religions who'll tell you uh, the majority of religious freedom violations in the world today are against Christians. Tomorrow is a day that one of our organizations that we partner with puts on that's called International Day of Prayer, IDOP, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Uh, they say that today, more than 360 million Christians around the world live in places where they face persecution, harassment, detention, legal restrictions, violence, even death for their faith in Jesus. The Bible tells us that we should pray for those who are mistreated as if we ourselves are being mistreated. That's Hebrews 13.3. And that if one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. For more than two decades, Voice of the Martyrs has organized International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Church as a global event that unites millions of Christians in prayer for persecuted Christians. Today, we're going to see some examples uh, from some different areas of what this might be referring to. And then at the end of the message, uh, we'll just direct our prayer today. Uh, toward, and I'll put in the talk at over notes uh, this week uh, some ways that this week, uh, some ways you can pray for the persecuted church. Uh, let's take uh, just one minute and watch this. 
ISIS fighters often clashed with Peshmerga forces protecting communities in Iraq. And in 2014, a Chaldean Christian businessman named Hani and seven of his employees were caught in the crossfire and imprisoned. After 26 days in captivity, they escaped to his home city in Karakosh. Only a week after his return, Hani and his pregnant wife had to flee, leaving behind his farm. Hani found himself hating Muslims like never before, until he attended a Voice of the Martyrs discipleship class and learned what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Now with a heart to reach Muslims, Hani tells them about the love of Christ and even plans to return to his liberated hometown to plant a church. Pray for Iraqi believers to be emboldened as they suffer for the gospel of Christ. What's the secret? What's the key to withstanding the destructive winds in our life? The first key is that I must remain connected to my church family. Now, your church family and other believers in your life, uh, they can't face all the winds that God is calling you to face, but they can have your back and pray for you and encourage you and uphold you. Uh, same way the other way. So what believers are you upholding, encouraging, supporting? It's, it's one of the main reasons Jesus created his church, to be a family of support, to build one another up, to be able to withstand. Let's look at this passage in Ephesians 4, 11. It says, now these are the gifts God gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. That's acts of service to God, to others. So God gives these uh, people uh, to equip us for our work of service, and watch this, and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, and this is God's goal for us, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So that's his goal, and here's why. Here's the result. Watch this with me. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. So God wants the church building one another up so that we can withstand uh, all, all the lies of the world. And God's church is his tool for building you up. The result is to keep one another from being blown away by false ideas, by shifting winds of teaching. What's, what are the shifting winds? Uh, that's the different beliefs, different religions, the opposition you face for your faith. Uh, that's the things that, man, they're shifting. Like, and one day you're for this thing, another day you're for that thing. And uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to follow like a cause of the world or a political cause or something like that. You find out pretty quickly it's hard to keep up with who you're supposed to be mad at, right? Because what's happening? Things are shifting all the time. But God's truth remains. By the way, let me just pause and, and for a minute and say, I commend you all. Why? Because you have stayed connected to the body of Christ. You're here today. And here's the first key. It's to withstand, to stay connected to my church family. And here you are. Now, as I had these points this week... Um, I made a playlist for myself with four songs that reflected these four 
points, and I'd have this play while I was working on the message. And so you'll see on your notes this weekend a song, and I just decided maybe that would speak to you too. Music is a powerful force to help us keep our perspective, and uh, so you might listen to these songs and help you remember these points and pray for the persecuted. You may think of other, other great ones and, and put them in there. Uh, two of the songs we're going to do in the service today. Also, before we move on, you're going to hear about this in the announcements, but this month we're doing an accelerated version of our growth track, and we're going to pause growth track for the holidays, the upcoming holidays. So today at 1, uh, we're going to start step one, and then we'll do step two of the growth track as well today. And at step one, at one o'clock today, I'm going to answer the question, why be connected to a church? Because what we have found is tens of millions of people in our country go to church. But if you ask them why, why they're connected to a church family, they don't have a good answer. They don't know why. And when you don't know your why, you lose your way. And so I, I want to be able to, you to have a good answer of why be connected to a church family. Uh, it's the last opportunity of the year for growth tracks, so some of you need to take advantage of that, and uh, I just want to do, encourage you to do that, because how do we withstand? We stay connected to our church family. Here's the second way to withstand the winds of life, is that is to put into practice everything I learn. Meaning you don't just uh, listen to God's word, you do it, you obey it, you, you practice it. Here's what Jesus said. It's his uh, last words from his famous sermon on the mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. I love it. Rain came down, streams rose, the wind blew. It's coming from the top, coming from the bottom. Coming, do you ever feel like it's coming from all directions at you? And beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it's had its foundation on the rock. The way you make it through is to practice what you learn. Then you'll be built on bedrock rather than shifting topsoil. Now, what's the rock? The rock is the Word of God. It's putting into practice the Word of God. It occurred to me this week that some of you may not know why we use these message notes with all the Bible passages on them each week. And so I thought I might just give you some reasons why we use these things and why I encourage you to, to take notes with the message. Why? First of all, it clarifies that the message is rooted in the Bible. That some churches will have a scripture reading time and then a sermon and the pastor may or may not include scripture in it. For us, it's all interwoven into one thing, that the Bible passages are, are the points of the message. Uh, number two, we use message notes because not everyone has a Bible. Now, if you don't have one, we have them at the info table available for you today. Uh, you can have it. It's our gift to you. We just pull one right out of the lost and found, and it's yours. <laughs> no, we have brand new Bibles. Uh, we'd love for you to have one. It's a new Bible. It's a blessing. How many Bibles we've given away uh, in a year's time uh, to people who don't have one or don't have one that they understand, so thank you for your giving. It may help to get someone a, a Bible. Number three, it relieves embarrassment in finding texts. Not everyone's learned that skill. I want you to learn it, but not everyone has. Four, sometimes God gives us messages before we need them. Like, you may not need the message that we're on today, but God was preparing you for when you would face that challenge. 
Number five, we can cover more verses in less time. We'll go through these quickly, Jamie. We can read verses aloud together. Number seven, we can use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Eight, we can compare multiple translations. Nine, we can emphasize key themes by interacting with the text, taking notes, circling, underlining, rewriting it in the app. We remember and retain more. Eleven, we can review what we learn later. Twelve, we can use it for small group study and discussion. And then thirteen, we can see how much longer the sermon is. Okay, he's getting there. He's moving along. There is an end. It's in sight. James 1.25, message notes help us fulfill this. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they know. They'll be blessed in what they sat and heard. No, you're blessed when you do it, when you put it into practice. Let's watch another uh, one of these stories from Voice of the Martyrs. Oh, no, this one's not a video. This, is, this one is an article that I just found tremendously uh, profound. And I wanted to take a moment. I really wrestled with whether or not to do this because it's kind of long. Um, but I, I thought it just drove home this point so well uh, that if you'll just take a moment and, and lean in with me. And we're going to read through, read through this article, and you can read along with me if you can see that. Each time a new customer walked through the door, of the small coffee shop in South Korea where Min Jae shared his story with Voice of the Martyrs workers. He hesitated or stopped talking completely. The middle-aged North Korean studied each person's face anxiously, searching for clues to his or her intent. Min Jae knew from experience that he could never be too careful even outside North Korea. Spies often cross the border into South Korea to find defectors and report their names to the North Korean government which then punishes their relatives for still living in the country. In North Korea, no one trusts each other, said Min Jae, who even suspected his wife of being a spy. We have to be very cautious about how we think and always careful with our words. I still have that kind of tendency. I get a little nervous looking back and forth. With the coffee grinder providing background noise, Min Jae gradually grew more comfortable sharing the story of how he became a Bible smuggler in the most restricted nation on earth. Min Jae became a believer during a lengthy business trip to China in 2004. While there, he had visited a friend's church and fallen in love with the Bible and all its weird stories. Five months later, after being baptized, receiving his own small Korean Bible and growing in his understanding of the scriptures, Min Jae had to return to North Korea, but as he prepared to leave China, someone from the church made a bold request. Would he accept a shipment that included 10 hidden Bibles once he returned to North Korea? At first, he declined. He was already nervous about bringing his own small Bible into the country. If border guards caught him with even a few pages, he could be tortured or killed. And Min Jae knew that receiving the shipment of Bibles could result in his imprisonment in one of North Korea's notorious concentration camps. As he agonized over the decision, he remembered that he had given his life to Christ, and it was no longer his own. He decided to trust his Lord. Now I believe in God, and I believe in God. Everything is possible, he thought. I can do anything he wants. Even if it looks difficult, maybe God will just do his work. The shipment arrived in a few months after Min Jae's return to North Korea. At 1 a.m. in the morning, 
In November 2005, he approached a boat along the bank of the Yalu River, praying for God's protection and guidance with every step. After retrieving three large vinyl duffel bags, he hoisted them on his back and ran towards his home in the dark. Once inside the relative safety of his home, he opened the bags to find them tightly packed with pants. But wrapped randomly within the clothes were ten small Korean Bibles. I was afraid and nervous, he said. Receiving them was fine, but when I actually opened the bags and began to wonder, how can I distribute these at this time, I began to have doubts. Minjay decided to keep the dangerous books hidden until God led him to the right people. Then, as he walked through his village one day in February 2006, he heard a man whistling a Christian hymn. He had learned the tune, The Trusting Heart to Jesus Clings, during his time in China. Min Jae made note of where the man lived and decided to deliver some Bibles to him that night under cover of darkness. After midnight, Min Jae rewrapped eight of the ten Bibles in the pants and left them at the man's front door. He didn't have a note for fear. He didn't leave a note for fear that it could be traced back to him. Months later, Min Jae returned to China with the intent of defecting, but in November 2006, he was arrested and extradited to North Korea. In prison, he met a former friend who had been arrested because of his Christian faith. And as they talked, Min Jae came to realize that the man he gave the Bibles to was his friend's uncle. That man had also been arrested and was being held in a different cell in the same prison. Min Jae's friend told him that his uncle had given the eight Bibles to relatives who had then committed their lives to Christ. The entire family of 27 people began to gather secretly at night to worship God and to read and discuss the scriptures. But one night, a neighbor overheard the believers singing hymns and reported, to them, reported them to the authorities. The secret police raided their home and arrested everyone. Although he wasn't able to interact with them in prison, Min Jae often heard some of the family members praying in their cells. He never told his friend that he was the one who had left the eight Bibles on his uncle's doorstep. It was still too risky for anyone to know. A month later, all 27 family members, including Min Jae's friend and his friend's uncle, were sent to a concentration camp. Min Jae was released after seven months in prison, and in 2014, he successfully defected to South Korea. He remains concerned, even feeling a bit guilty, about the Christian family suffering in a concentration camp. After all, he supplied the Bibles that helped lead to their imprisonment. Still, he knows that God ultimately provided the Bibles and that he is with them as they suffer in his name. I believe that these 27 people are children of God and that God will somehow release them miraculously, Min Jae said. Voice of the Martyrs has provided some support to Min Jae and today he serves in a variety of ways at his church and, partner, and participates in one-on-one -on -one discipleship program. He continues to pray for a job that will enable him to support himself and ask Christians in the United States to pray that more North Koreans will learn of God's love for them. I just want for North Korean people to hear the gospel and share the gospel, he said. That is my only prayer. At the conclusion of this conversation with Voice of the Martyrs workers in South Korean coffee shop, Min Jae pulled out the hand-sized Bible he received in China when he first came to know Christ. The outside looks like a notebook but its pages contain God's word in a near-microscopic font. He had hidden the Bible from everyone, including his wife, and it had sustained him when he was lonely, when he was a lonely Christian 
fearful of his work as a Bible smuggler. Like the family of 27 believers imprisoned for their faith and countless others secretly following Jesus inside North Korea, Min Jae depends on God's word too. To withstand the winds of life, we must remain connected to our church family, put into practice everything we learn. And number three, we must turn our focus to how great God is. If I could just humbly say this, but boldly today. Uh, some of you have been telling God how strong the winds are in your life. And you need to tell the wind how strong your God is in your life. And you need to turn your focus from the wind to how great God is. There is a beautiful, beautiful example of this in Matthew 8. Jesus is out in a boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee when suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Don't you just love someone who can sleep through anything? Uh, when I wouldn't wake up in the middle of the night when our babies were crying, my wife did not find me more Christ-like, I can tell you that. But <laughs> he was sleeping and the disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. That is our God. And they're in awe. They're worshiping him because they've just seen his power. Worship is a way to set your sail, to, to see from God's perspective, to have more faith so that the winds direct you to Jesus. You know, a good sailor knows that you can take the wind that is even opposing you and set your sail in such a way that you're still moving in the direction that you want to go if you set the sail direct, uh, correctly. That sail is your attitude. It's your trust. And I know many of you fairly well to know and look up to you for how you're doing that because you have wins in your life, like we've mentioned today. And you have decided to set your sail to let that be the very thing that drives you closer to Jesus. The sail is your faith. How are you setting it? Let's watch another example. In 2002, Pastor Foon Chow opened his eyes after prayer to the alarming sight of police waiting to seize him. He was arrested for bringing Bibles to the jungles of Vietnam. Knowing they intended to kill him, Chow broke free and fled, but was soon arrested again. In custody, officers demanded he sign a document stating Christianity is a false religion. After failing for a month to get Chow to sign, officials ordered him to tell a crowd of Christians who gathered there to reject Jesus. Chow knew the police did not speak their Hmong language and said to the crowd, Jesus is true. Pastor Chow knew his persecution had a purpose because many Hmong people turned to Jesus that day. Pray for Christians who sacrifice their freedom to spread the gospel. Lastly, to uh, withstand the winds of life, I must remind myself how much Jesus cares. Now, there's another boat incident with wind that I want to look at today. Another boat incident with Jesus. It's in Mark 6. They're out on the Sea of Galilee. And it says, late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. And Jesus was alone on land. 
He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. Now, in this passage, if, if you go through this, uh, you see all the reasons that we get fearful. Uh, it's dark. They're away from shore. They're out of their comfort zone. Jesus is not in the boat this time, so they're feeling all alone. They've been rowing hard. They're tired. They're frustrated. You're not in the middle of a sea right now, but maybe you say, I completely identify. You might say, I'm in the dark. I feel insecure. I feel out of my comfort zone. I feel like I'm on my own. You've been rowing hard, but you don't feel like you're getting any progress. And Jesus sees you. He sees your struggle. He cares about your frustration. He comes to them at their moment of desperation. And what I find amazing is he didn't shout from the shore instructions. He comes to their moment of desperation. He goes to where they are and he intervenes. Friends, that is the gospel. A God who intervenes. A God who becomes incarnate. Jesus who comes to earth. A God who became one of us. Who takes on our sin and dies on the cross for our sin. He didn't shout instruction from heaven. He says, I'll solve the problem you cannot solve. I'll live the life that you cannot live and I'll die in your place. And I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I will tell you this, Jesus comes walking on the very problem you're afraid of. And he walks on the waves that, waves that they're afraid they're going to take them down. And he may not always command the winds to be still when you want him to, and he may very well be the one that puts you in a boat and pushes you out in the sea and you run into a storm. But he's also the one who comes walking on that problem so that you can continue to trust him. Let's watch this example. Abdul grew up under Sharia law in Pakistan. When he questioned where he'd spend eternity, his uncle said he'd go to heaven because he'd done a good job. His uncle's words didn't comfort him. Abdul knew he had not lived a good life. His emptiness grew so intense, he contemplated suicide. Abdul shared his dark intentions with a friend, who surprisingly suggested he take a Bible correspondence course. As he studied, Abdul's eyes were opened. He decided to follow Jesus, but his Muslim family did not approve. He must be kicked out, his uncle cried, or I will kill him. Shut out of his home, Abdul crawls up to his parents' rooftop to sleep at night because he has no place to go. He's been severely persecuted, yet faithfully serves his savior, even leading other Muslims to Christ. Sometimes God will allow the winds to continue to get our attention. And what we think is opposition and problems, and what is opposition, can actually be beneficial to you if you let it grow your character. 
you grow stronger with opposition. Your roots grow deeper with opposition. A kite rises in the wind. It withstands the wind. Psalm 104.4 says, the winds are your messengers, Lord. I wonder, what is God trying to say to you through your circumstances? He uses the winds as his messengers. What message is God trying to get to you? He's saying, stay connected to your church family. Put into practice his word. He says, focus on my greatness and remember, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, you know the winds that are uh, in our life today, and you know the opposition that we're facing. Uh, But we come before you today to uh, turn our focus onto you and to turn our focus um, to your command to pray for the persecuted and this opportunity. And we looked at some instances in some various places, but there are too many to even name. You know them all. You're present with them. And despite our separation by borders or cultures, we are all your church, and we are unified by your promises. And in this moment, we come around the things that unite us, and we pray that persecuted Christians will feel your presence in all areas of their lives, that they will know that they're not alone, but that they can sense you, God, with them. Help them to rest in the promise that you have not, nor will never abandon them. And we pray that those that are hated because they love you uh, would be encouraged. They ask time and time again that we continue to pray for them. Lord, help us to humbly remember their uh, great struggles. Uh, Let it embolden us. Let it uh, prepare us. Let it equip us for the opportunities that that we have. Lord, you promise eternal comfort, wonderful hope. We pray these promises strengthen the hearts and resolve of our persecuted family as they honor you with their good works, fighting the good fight. God, we pray that uh, the gospel would advance. Lord, we see that persecution often purifies the church. It purifies the message. It it often backfires on the persecutor because they end up being loved and prayed for. It it backfires on on the the government that decides we're outlawing the Bible or outlawing the name of Jesus, Christianity, because in turn they end up talking about the Bible more. They talk about Jesus more. So God, we pray that your gospel would would advance, that people would come to believe, that they would come to see in faith that Jesus is resurrected. He is the one true God. That it would cause people to repent of their sin and turn to a risen Savior. Lord, the world does not need another system. It needs a Savior. And Jesus, we believe you are that Savior. Father, it would be easy to fall into pits of despair and resentment during these times. 
And we pray that in the midst of suffering, the joy Peter talks about would be found. Because this is not all there is. This world is not the Christian's home. As Jesus looked with love and compassion at those who beat and tortured him, even while on the cross, we pray that those around the world uh, can see their persecutors with the same eyes of forgiveness and love. Lord, I lift up our church family to you today. It's not lost on me that uh, there are people in our church family who uh, are carrying offenses and uh, for some it's very difficult for them to be a believer in their family or in their work or in their school. And they might say, well, I'm not facing persecution, but there is opposition and it, it's making it difficult to continue to believe. Lord, I pray that these uncontrollable winds that by your spirit we could withstand. We could remain and even grow. It's in Jesus' name I pray and the whole church said together, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.